the gospel of Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. And I want to begin reading there with verse 1. After these things the Lord appointed over our other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whether himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as they set before you. Heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. There's a statement that's repeated twice in these 11 verses that I've read to you tonight that I want to use as a title, simply this, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful that you have an opportunity and that God avails opportunities to us to serve Him and He deals with us and moves upon us and touches us? As he does. Let's lift our hands up to the Lord and let's pray right now for his anointing, his blessing, his touch to be upon the remainder of our service. Jesus, we look to you, God, and we pray and seek for you to move in this house and anoint us, God, to receive the word of the Lord that you would speak to our hearts. We thank you so much for the beautiful opportunity to be in your presence. God, to receive, God, from you, to, to feel your anointing that we feel. And I pray, God, that you would move and operate as you so choose tonight. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. <laughs> praise God. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It's so good to see also uh, the Smith son with us tonight. We're glad that you're with us. Amen. The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. As you know, this world is currently grappling with a lot of 
issues and problems. But I want to make an unequivocal statement here tonight, and that is that God has no problems. Wouldn't that be pretty awesome to be able to live life, to live in this world, and be free of all problems and difficulties and challenges? God has no problems, and he isn't trying to figure anything out. However, God does have solutions. He doesn't have any problems, but he does have solutions. Let me state again that God doesn't have any questions. He already knows all things. But he does have answers. On the other hand, you and I, we have problems. Uh, let me restate that. I've got problems and I've got questions. But I'm thankful that I serve a God that has a solution to my problems. And he has an answer to any and all of our questions here tonight. And that is why God and I go good together is because while I have questions he has answers and while I've got problems he's got solutions so we make a pretty good fit but let me let me just establish here right from the outset tonight that uh, God is is in no way uh, handicapped he is in no way intimidated by any question any prayer request for that matter, any situation, any challenge, anything that we face. He's not lacking in any ability. He's not lacking in any power. Uh, he has the ability to do whatever that we need him to do. There is absolutely no weakness with God. He has no deficiencies. He has no inadequacies. And in no area does he come up short. Sometimes I have, well, a lot of times I have limitations and you have limitations. And our abilities can go so far. Our talents, our giftings, and the things that God has bestowed upon us can take us so far and even help us so much. And others can help us so much. But uh, we find ourselves at the end of the road sometimes. But aren't you thankful that God never finds himself at that place? There's always more that he can do. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he is able to exceed his own greatness. That he is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think. So he has no ceiling. He has no place where he limits out. He has no place where he says, well, that's just as far as my power can reach. as That's as far as I can go. That's as as low as I can reach for someone. That's as much as I can do for someone. That's as much as I can help someone. But uh, I believe that God has the power to do everything that man needs him to do and more. Can you say praise the Lord? Well, let me just ask you a question. Has anybody ever received more grace than you deserve? Anybody ever receive more mercy than you deserve? There's some of you don't have your hands up, and I know your testimony, and I know what you faced and what you've went through. You've got a whole lot more mercy than you than you could ever express in praise tonight and thanksgiving to the Lord. 
God has been good to you. You may not be expressing it tonight, but God has been good to you. You may not be praising him accordingly tonight, but God has been good to you. You may not put your hands together and thank him one time tonight, but God has been good to you. Hallelujah. And isn't it amazing that people that God has been so merciful to can be so unmerciful on other folks? Amen. I just gave you that for free tonight. But God does, amen, with being a deity that has no limitations. God does have one challenge as it concerns mankind. And I want to illustrate that tonight. There was a gentleman named William Hunt, and I've used this illustration before, but I felt to use it again tonight, that lived in the late 1800s. And he became a Christian, and he had a talent for art. And so he became obsessed with the Jewish life, and he studied it and the traditions of the Jewish culture in Bible times. And there were certain stories of the Bible that particularly interested him. And so being an artist, he would portray his interest through art. And he has some rather famous uh, paintings that he uh, articulated, and one of them was Jesus uh, visiting the temple. Another is one that is called the scapegoat, and uh, but I suppose his most famous and the one that you'll recall is Jesus standing at the door. Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and I'm sure that many of you have seen at least one rendition of this. And there's a lot of reprints of this that hang in people's homes in different places. But this painting, it was uh, done three different times. And each time that it was recreated by the artist, it was uh, done a little bit different. And the one that we see often is one that's been cleaned up a bit, if you will. And the one that we're most acquainted with is really a reproduction from the original. And you see Jesus standing outside of a very nice home, uh, well-kept place, a nice house, and, and a manicured lawn or yard there, what you can see of it. And then also the, the ivy and the plants that are around are all just right. But in the original painting, that was not so. The original uh, there was things that were purposely done in the painting of it, uh, such as it was, it was painted that Jesus' visit was at night. It was at night. It was dark. And then the door was very weather-beaten, and there were no flowers in the original, and uh, rather there were weeds that were growing up around what you could see of the front of the house there. And uh, the trees that you saw in the background, there was no leaves on them, but they were bare branches, just skeletals standing up there. And uh, there was, if you look very closely, bats that were painted into the picture off in the distance. In each of these things, there was a reason why the artist placed them, and he later identified the reasons for this. But the weeds, they represented slowfulness. And uh, the unkept uh, house, it, it represented 
slowfulness. And then he said that the night represented timing. Uh, in the darkness of the night, Jesus paid a visit. And then the closed door. Nobody is standing there greeting the Lord, but he's, he's kind of gently leaning over towards the door, knocking on it. And obviously that was the closed heart. The bats, and this is rather unusual to me, was, he said, ignorance. Not, not the lack of education, but the lack of understanding of what is happening and what is taking place and what actually the opportunity is for this, this person's heart. This painting was meant to parallel how God operates and how the Lord visits mankind. Jesus came to this door as the artist was, was painting it, uh, regardless of the condition, the condition that he found the house in. Though it was unkept, though it was in disarray, though it was unwelcoming, though the time, the hour was late, and it was uninviting, and uh, nothing about this particular home, uh, the way that it was portrayed was welcoming at all to a visitation from the Lord. But as unattractive as it was, this artist said Jesus still paid the owner of the house a visit. And I thought that was something that, that so defines the nature of the Lord that I preach about. As I read about him in this Bible, as I read the pages of the Word of God, I think this is an ac accurate portrayal of the Lord. Most would understandably pass by this house for nicer ones up and down the street or in the neighborhood. They would look for manicured lawns. They would look for a more inviting environment. They would look for a house that looked like it was kept up. Uh, they would look for a welcoming map. However, Jesus said, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what the exterior portrays, I believe that this individual needs me. I believe that this is a house that might need me the most. And so therefore, the conditions might not be perfect and the timing may not be perfect. And uh, it may not look like that they're inviting me in, but nevertheless, I'm coming to pay them a visit. And I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't look for perfect in order and altogether lives. And though the hour is late, and sometimes it may seem like it's too late, that the Lord still deals with us and still moves upon us. He still visits us. And how many in this room can testify to the fact that he has visited you? You didn't deserve it. To, amen. Your life was not the most welcoming. Everything wasn't organized as it needed to be. And it certainly wasn't to perfection. But the Lord visited you. His presence moved upon you. The Holy Ghost dealt with you. The Spirit of the Lord drew you. Amen. He welcomed you even when it seemed as though you failed to welcome him when you didn't have the strength to worship when you didn't know what to pray when you didn't know 
what to say. Amen. The Lord come knocking on your heart's door and gave you an opportunity and a chance to find him. Hey, I don't understand everything. Amen. But he still comes to me. I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily have everything in order, but he still visits. Amen. The door may be closed, but he still knocks. Your life may be a mess. It may be a wreck, but he still comes and gives an opportunity and a chance to find salvation. And when he comes, he said, you may not have answers, but I've got answers. And I'm bringing answers with me. I'm coming to visit you, and I'm bringing solutions. I'm coming bringing power and hope and victory and deliverance and help and strength and grace that you need in the time that you're in. Oh, come on. Somebody give some praise to the Lord. Now I want to take this just a step further because in the painting you can only see one dimension because of course paintings only allow us to see in one dimension therefore you can't see the other side or beyond the door but we can assume by what we see on the outside that it's probably Indicative of what is on or what would be found on the inside. And humans are a lot like that. What you see a lot of times portrayed on the outside is an indication of what is going on within. Attitudes, amen, spirit that is portrayed, words that are spoken, expressions that are made, give you an indication, give you clues, amen, to see what is on the inside of a person. Many times they don't know how to react. Many times they try to put up a facade. Many times they try to put a veneer. But you know you can't hold up a facade forever. You can't put up a veneer forever. Sooner or later it melts away. Sooner or later the guard has to be let down. Sooner or later, the, the masquerade, if you will, is over. And what is on the inside is truly revealed. Amen. I believe that really it works the other way than what we sometimes think it does. Sometimes we look on the outside and, and we think it works from the outside inward. But really, it's what's on the inside that works outwardly. You can see it even in this room tonight. People that lift up their hands and worship in a world that is filled with so much fear. People that have faith in God, though they don't know what tomorrow might hold. I'll tell you, it's because they got something on the inside that we still can have a smile on the outside. It's because we got something on the inside while we can still express joy and worship and sing and give praise unto God. It's because we got something on the inside. That's why we act like we act and represent Christ like we represent Him. That's why we dress like we dress and that's why we appear like we appear. Amen. It's not trying to get the outside right before the inside's right, but if you got the inside right, it'll portray itself on the outside. Amen. Then you'll want to be more like Jesus. Then you'll want to draw closer to Him. 
Oh, praise the Lord. Somebody give a hand clap of praise to him. Right. So, so it's assumed that the inside must be similar. The outside has weeds and peeling paint. It's unkempt. So the inside probably is going to be much the same. It's probably not going to find polished furniture in a house that's got paint peeling on the outside. Probably not going to find neatly organized home with it being unkempt on the outside. Probably not going to find something that is in order if it's not in order on the outside. It's not clean on the outside. It's probably not going to be clean on the inside. And a lot of times, you know, we judge restaurants that way. We, we judge uh, places of business that way. And in most cases, this assumption could be correct. However, again, reminds you that where spiritual things are concerned and with God, God always starts with the heart. Matter of fact, the Bible said you shall serve the Lord God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And if you'll read that in various uh, renditions of the gospel, you'll find that mind and spirit and soul may be in a different order. But in every case, the heart is mentioned first. Every time that list is made, the heart is mentioned first. I think there's significance to that because the Lord always starts. It's hard to give much more to Him if you're unwilling to give Him your heart. He starts with your heart. That's your innermost being. That's the real you. Amen. It's more than just that muscle that's on the inside of you. It's that and a whole lot more. Amen. I said it's more than just that that is beneath your sternum, but it is a whole lot more. It's your the essence of you. It's where you make choices and decisions. It's what you commit yourself to. It's where you make consecrations. It's where you perceive. It's where you put faith in something. Amen. That's what God is looking for. He said, I want your heart first. Because if I get your heart, I get your mind. Amen. If I get your heart, I get your soul. If I get your heart, amen, I can get your spirit. I can change you and transform you if I can get a hold of your heart first. I preach it to somebody. Amen. You need to start leading out with your heart. Lead with your heart when you worship God. Lead with your heart when you pray to God. Lead with your heart when you come to express your needs to God. Praise God. Praise God. So many times we try to rationale with our minds. We try to make it logically fit with our minds. That person always has a struggle finding God. That person always finds it difficult to totally get what they need from the Lord. They find it difficult to yield to God. Amen. If they start with their mind, you got to start with your heart. you got to say, God, I don't understand everything. I don't know everything. I don't pretend to have all the answers. But as I understand where I've got questions, you got answers. Where I've got problems, you got solutions. You're able to take care of it. I'm going to lead with my heart and believe you. Oh, clap your hands and let's give praise to him again. Then again, a beautiful exterior doesn't always guarantee that the inside is all okay. Amen. Can I preach to us? Praise the Lord. Again, 
You know, there's a, in, 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 I read about this in the furniture business, there's a, there's a deal that they call faking the grain. When they want to make something look like solid oak or mahogany or teak wood or ash or something like this, they got a way. They can take the cheapest of woods and they can use the right stain and then they can what they call fake the grain. But really, it's all a masquerade. It's all in the veneer. It's all in they have learned how to make it appear as though it's something other than it is. And so on the outside, it looks well. I want to tell you that this, again, is the reason why there's so much teaching in the Word of God and so much Scripture referencing the heart and having the heart right before God. Amen. The Bible says that He looks upon the heart. Uh, is that what he said? God looketh upon the heart. You know, man, uh, in the case of Samuel going to David's house, Jesse's house, to anoint a king, he, he, he looked at the exterior of these fellas and he said, man, this one has to be the one. Eliab, look at him. He's so tall. He's so broad-shouldered. He, he's just got all of the, all of the specifications of a of a mighty king and warrior, and this would be someone that that could be a leader by his appearance. It just it just looks that way. And God said no to seven sons before they brought David before Samuel. And God told him that none of those sons were to be the king to replace Saul. But rather, while man looks on the outward appearance, and let me just stop and say, unless you get confused here tonight the outward appearance does matter but again it's a portrayal of what is in the heart and I'm thankful that there's something on the outward that man can see that identifies us as children of God amen he always has put his people apart and separated his people he is always he said you are a peculiar people uh, he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Amen. You are to show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness. That's an outward thing. Amen. Into this marvelous light. Amen. When we show forth praises, you know what we're doing? We're not only lifting up him and glorifying him, but we're a testimony to the world of what he is able to do and the change that he can bring in the somebody's life. You know, when you come to church and you don't just sit like a bump on a pickle when you get here, but you make up your mind, since I'm here, I might as well worship God. You know what you're saying to other people in the sanctuary is God is able to do for you what he's done for me. But when they look over at you and you're sitting there straight faced with your arms crossed, amen, and a judgmental look on your face, then they think, I don't want that. I, I surely don't want that because they don't got anything that the world doesn't have. But when you come to the house of God and you come to worship God and you come to praise the Lord. You're showing forth the praise of him that called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. 
Hallelujah. It's still marvelous to me. It's still beautiful to me. It's still brilliant to me. It still shines bright to me. It hasn't lost its power. It's not grown dim to me over the years. It's still a bright light that I'm so thankful for. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you might as well go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord. Thankfully, there's something that the world can see, a mark that is upon God's people. They can see, amen, through the beauty of holiness that is portrayed in the child of God. There's something different about that person. There's something different about them. I'm telling you, God isn't just concerned about the obvious, but he wants to deal with the issues of our heart. Amen? He wants to get down there where it really matters. Because if we can get that straightened out, all the other things will work out from there. And the byproduct, amen, and, and the outgrowth of, we'll, we'll, we'll come into what God wants us to be. We'll be productive as God wants us to be. We'll be fruitful as God wants us to be as we get things in our heart right with God. Amen. If I have hate in my heart, I can't be right with God. If I've got jealousy in my heart, I can't be right with God. If I have anger issues in my heart, I can't be right with God. If I have unforgiveness or seeds of bitterness there in my heart, I need to get them out because that's going to affect my relationship with God. Hallelujah. He begins with the heart. And then third, it's important to note that just like the painting, the Lord does not intrude, but he cordially knocks at the door. If you're expecting the Lord to force entry, it's not going to happen. If you're expecting him to burst in, it's not going to take place. I'm thankful that we talk about breakthrough, but if you read the scripture and you study it carefully, as we break through in our flesh, he breaks forth upon us. Amen? As we, we get rid of our pride, we get rid of all of those attitudes and things that would hinder us from being in the presence of the Lord, he gladly and readily uh, breaks forth upon us and pours his spirit out upon us. Hallelujah. He's not going to trespass. He's not going to force his way in. You'll have to invite him in. You'll have to yield to him. You'll have to surrender to him. And this yielding thing's a bigger deal with people than, than what you may first imagine. You know, receiving the Holy Ghost, this is a promise that once you repent of your sins... It's a promise. It's a guarantee that you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to tarry certain days for it. You don't have to wait on it for a long period of time. But the moment that you can completely yield yourself to the Lord, you can become a recipient of the Holy Ghost. The only reason people have to tarry for the Holy Ghost is, number one, they haven't repented of their sins. Or there's some issue in their life that they have to overcome and they have to get under the blood. They have to repent of and, and die out to. That's what repentance is. Or 
they simply don't know how to yield. And a lot of times that's the case. They don't know how to yield to God. Not that they don't want to, but maybe it's unfamiliar with them. And the best way I know for a person to yield, and this is why we always instruct people to do this, is to begin to worship the Lord. Because you can't be consumed with self and be a worshiper. You can't be worried about pride and worried about self and be a worshiper. You can't praise God and be consumed with your own what people think about you or what people are going to say about you. If you're going to worship God, you got to forget about all of that. you got to let go of all of that. you got to yield to all of that. And suddenly when you get the focus off of yourself, I wonder what I look like. I wonder what people are thinking about. I wonder what they may say about me. Oh, forget all of that. And when you begin to worship God and begin to give true praise unto the Lord and become focused on Him, isn't it amazing how that you open your heart so that God God can come in and it won't be long until you'll be speaking in a heavenly language and the Holy Ghost will be be upon you and, and you'll be baptized in His Spirit. Oh, come on. Let's give some praise to Him right now. Some of you are wondering since I introduce this that there is a challenge that God has I'm going to I'm going to get to that because just as in this painting there's a door and when he painted this he brought one of his contemporaries to his studio and Mr. Hunt had it covered up the painting he'd been working on for several months he had it covered up with a drop cloth And he was going to show it to this individual, the first person outside of himself to see it. And he went and he pulled the drop cloth off. And he said, here's the painting. What do you make of it? He stood and studied it for several minutes. And finally, he said aloud, he said, it's imperfect. He said, what do you mean it's imperfect? He said, every detail here has been well thought out. He said, the door, William, the door. He said it has no door latch on the outside. He said, no, that that is purpose, purposely done, purposely painted that way. He said, because the door represents the heart, and the door of the heart always opens from the inside. And so that's the way that I painted this. And could I tell you that God's challenge isn't your issues? It isn't your problems. It isn't the hang-ups that you have in your life. It isn't questions that you have or, or things that you grapple with and things that have plagued your mind. Those are no issue to God. Those are no problem to God. That is no challenge to God. God is able to take care of that. I will tell you, sickness is not the problem, and and, and the disease is not the problem for God. Amen. It's us. It lies with us. His greatest challenge is to access your heart. His greatest challenge is to get access granted to him where somebody will open the door. He stands there and knocks, it says in the book of Revelation. But when anyone 
anyone open the door? Would anybody grant him access? Would anybody yield to him? Would anybody open up their heart to him? Would anybody say yes to him? There's no sickness too big. There's no trouble too great. There's no problem too insurmountable that God cannot take care of. If we could just get him in and invite him into the situation, he'll take care of it. He'll make us whole. He'll heal us. He'll deliver us. He'll give us victory over it. So in our text in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out these 70. And he sends them out with peace and with power. Basically, that's what it says. He said, you've got ability and power that I've given you to bring peace and to bring healing and restoration to people. He said, you're going to go into a city. I'm stripping you down. You don't have anything but my power to depend upon. You can't take purse, grip, any of that. You can't take anywhere. You know, I don't know why they, now this word purse is a container that they must a bag or something that they, uh, so don't, don't, don't think necessarily uh, these disciples were cross-dressing or anything like that. that that's, not, that's not what it's saying. But anyway, script was money. I don't know why they would need a bag to carry it in if they didn't have anything to put in it. But you know, I've been there before. I've been a kid. I like to carry a billfold and didn't have a thing in it. And uh, I've seen uh, my daughter carry a purse and didn't have a thing in it. But they grow up, don't they? And they, they learn how to get something in it. They want to they want you to put some money in it. So anyway, he strips them down as far as any material thing is concerned. And they are instructed to go into cities and go house to house and look for a place that they can come into, that they'd been invited to. And when you come there, you say this. What our text is tonight, our title is, The Kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. In other words, opportunity has visited you. The opportunity to be blessed beyond your imagination. The opportunity to receive beyond what you can even get a hold of in your mind. The potential is awesome here. He says... The kingdom, everything that God represents, all of his power, all of his glory, the kingdom has come nigh unto you. You talk about a king and his kingdom. You're talking about his power, his authority. You're talking about all that he is, his domain, everything that he's got, his riches, his, his glory, everything is encompassed in his kingdom. And he said the kingdom it would be one thing if he said deliverance has come nigh to you or healing has come nigh to you or blessing has come nigh to you. But he doesn't say it like that. He says this all-encompassing statement. Basically what he's saying is it's come nigh unto you. Anything that you need is available. 
everything that you might desire is available. Everything that you would would need, not only today, but perhaps you don't even know. You're not even aware of it, but you may need it a few days from now. The kingdom has come nigh unto you. It's at your door, in other words. And he said, those that open up the door and say, come on in. He said, you go in, and whatever they put before you, you eat it. And you bless that house. And if there be any sick in that house, you can heal them in the power of God. And if there be anybody there that needs deliverance, you can see them delivered. And if there's anybody there that needs restoration, you can see them restored. The kingdom has come nigh unto them. Everything that the kingdom represents, they can have it in that household. But if they don't open the door, you shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. And you walk away because there's somebody that wants this. There's somebody that desires this. And he's not going to force entry but he's looking for somebody that yields to it looking for somebody that yields to him the kingdom has come nigh unto you praise God God doesn't use a crowbar to pry any doors open God doesn't pick any locks God doesn't kick anybody's door down. He doesn't use a battering ram to make entrance into anybody's life. But the kingdom of God comes to you by choice. You have to open up. You have to yield. All the power you need, all the deliverance you need, all the victory you need, all the healing you need, all the blessing you need, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But you have to open up. Acts chapter number 12, we always preach about the prayer meeting at Mary's house and how that the Lord delivered Simon Peter from the prison at the behest of their prayers and how that Rhoda tried to convince them, this little maid tried to tell them, hey, he's at the door. And they tried to tell her, be quiet. We don't believe it can happen this quick. We've prayed prayers before and hadn't seen them answered this quickly, so we just don't believe it happens like this. And she had to keep on pressing until finally they came and looked for themselves and saw that, in fact, it was Simon Peter. It wasn't an apparition. It wasn't her imagination. It wasn't somebody that looked like him. It was him in the flesh standing there knocking on the door. But you realize all that the Lord had to do in that text to bring Simon Peter? There was a lot of doors that were open that the enemy had shut. Come on now. So I want to say this, that a door that the enemy has locked and has tried to shut and incarcerate you in is not something that intimidates God. It's not something that holds God back. It's not something that stops him. It's not something that hinders his will being done. The Bible says that he went, that angel went in there. He was in chains. First he unlocked those chains and told him to get up and put his sandals on and gird himself. In other words, get situated here. We're going somewhere. And when he walked over to the door, the door that the enemy had shut and incarcerated the king had decreed that he would 
after Easter have his head taken off and placed him there. Herod, he couldn't keep that door shut when God got ready to open it. Amen? Praise the Lord. He said, I open a door that no man can shut. The, the a man can't stop you from serving God. A man can't keep you. A person, an individual, no matter what they've said or how they try to make you feel, they can't keep you from serving God. They can't keep you from worshiping God if you want to. They can't exercise enough authority and power over you to keep you from worshiping God. Come on, there's no lockdown great enough to keep the church from worshiping. There's not a lockdown that this government knows uh, that could keep the church from praising God and praying. Our pray prayers will penetrate wherever we find ourselves or whatever situation that we find ourselves in. You can't stop people from serving God. They got a mind to serve Him. Amen. So, that door came. And then the Bible says that the first ward, they got to that place, and that had been locked down, and it opened. Again, the enemy had locked these doors. Then they got to the second ward, and the same thing happened. Led outside of the prison house. Now, I'm going to tell you, he, he wasn't just in the entry-level jail or whatever you want to say. He wasn't in there just until morning type of deal. They had him in there incarcerated. They had him in the center of the thing because he had to go through several wards to get out. But every one of those doors that the enemy had tried to lock was open. Finally, he's led to the gate of the city. He tells him, here, it's open to you. Go. The only door that God couldn't open was the door of the church. You could open prison doors. Enemies couldn't keep it, couldn't hinder it, couldn't stop it. But when it came to a saint of God, when it came to individuals that were praying for this very thing to happen, he said, it's up to you to open the door and let the answer come in. It's up to you to yield. It's up to you to say, this is out of my hands. It's up to you to say, this is what I've been praying for. I'm ready to see it answered. I'm ready to see it come in. Amen. You have to open that door. I'm going to tell you, God can open every door that we need him to open in order for us to find salvation, deliverance, help, blessing, whatever it is that we've been praying for. He's able to open every door that the enemy's tried to shut in your life. He can open a door that no man can shut. The man can't stop it. The spirits of the world can't stop it. The devil can't stop it. The only door that he can't open is the door of your heart. You have to open that door. You have to yield to him. You have to surrender to him. You have to cry out to him. You have to pray to him. You have to sincerely have faith in him. You have to say, God, here I am. I need your help. Would you stand to your feet with me right now? Oh, let's worship him and give him praise right now all across this building. Hallelujah. Oh, I praise you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. 
in conclusion, one more illustration from the Word of God. St. John chapter 11, we know the story very well of Lazarus. The Bible says that this is a man that Jesus loved. And he loved his two sisters, Martha and Mary. But when news came that Lazarus was sick, the Bible said he waited two more days before he even began travel to go to where Lazarus was. And he did this for a purpose and a reason. You wonder why God is delayed in coming to rescue and to move. Some of us have even wondered why God is delayed and tarried where this pandemic is concerned. We wonder why is it that we're continuing to have to deal with this. Well, I'm going to tell you, God's more concerned about getting a church out of this world than he is about our temporary comfort right now. And he's trying to shake some people up and stir some people into reality that his coming is nearer than what they think. That's right. Amen. And so when he arrives, finally Martha comes out and she is mad. She said, if you'd only been here, our brother wouldn't have died. The Lord said, I am the resurrection. Your brother's going to rise. She said, I know. In the resurrection, he'll rise. He said, no, the resurrection I'm talking about is not a date on the calendar. The resurrection I'm talking about is me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whatever I speak, I'm the one that spoke these worlds into existence. I can speak life back into your dead brother. Finally, he said, where have you laid him? And they said, no, Jesus, we've already sealed the tomb. He's been in there four days. He stinks by now. He's deteriorating in physical body. We've accepted this. We've embraced this. We've dealt with this in our minds. We, we forgive you that you didn't make it when we thought you would. We know you would have been able to heal him. In essence, that's the reason why he came, is to prove that he was more than just a healer. He was a, one that was able to take situations that look like they're hopeless. As long as there's a little bit of breath in it, we think, well, it, it, it can, God can raise it up. God can take care of it. But when it looks like it's done, it's over, everybody's given up. Everybody's come by and put their finger to the throat. Check. No, it, it's over. He said, that's not it. I want to show you I can bring dead issues back to life. So, show me where you laid him. Notice he stood there and made a command to them. He said, roll away the stone. You're the one that put it over the grave. You're the one that said it's over. You're the one that came here and put this great stone in this place and said, I'm accepting this. Now you're going to be the one that's going to roll it back. When they finally did their part and rolled the stone back, the Lord said three words, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus in his grave clothes comes stumbling out of that dark hole. Can I preach to you right now that it took more words to convince those to do 
what they needed to do to believe for the resurrection of Lazarus. It took more words to convince them to, to step into action than it took for the Lord. Three words is all it took for him to raise this man back to life. Amen. What he's saying is, is if you'll open the door and if you'll do your part, what I got to do isn't going to take a long time. What I got to do is going to be so much greater and so much more powerful than what even you are able to comprehend. If you'll just give me a chance, I, I can do it. I can take care of it. In just a little while, I can take care of it. Anybody got any dead issues in your life? Uh, anybody got any situations or needs that you feel hopeless where it's concerned? Anybody here, anybody besides me got situations that you need the Lord to intervene and the Lord to work in and the Lord to make a way in? Why don't you step out from where you are? Why don't you make your way to this altar? Why don't you open up your heart to God? Why don't you finally yield to Him and surrender to Him? Say, God, I need you. I need you to work. I need you to take care of it. I need you to intervene for me. God, I open up my heart to you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes. Come on now. Come on, open up your heart to God. Nobody can do that for you. That's you. That's your decision. That's your choice. Oh, it's up to you. Say, God, I yield. God, I surrender. God, I give all. I give everything. I open up to you, Lord. I need I you. Have made my decision. Oh, I need your touch. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your deliverance. Oh, Jesus' name. Come on, cry out and to him. Talk to him. He knows where you're at. He knows what you have need of. Oh, it doesn't take him nearly as long when we open up our hearts to him and surrender to him. He's able to take deadness and bring life to it. Jesus, I love you, Jesus. God. Me and the cross before. By the grace of God, I will serve the Lord. I have made my decision. I stake my claim. I have drawn a line in the sand, and I'll not be with the world behind me and the cross before by the grace of God I will serve the Lord I have made my decision I stake my claim I have drawn a line in the sand with the world behind me and the cross before by the grace of God I will serve the Lord I have made my decision I stake my claim I have drawn a line in the sand 
It's your choice. I stake, I stake my claim. I have drawn a line in the sand. I'll not be ashamed with the world behind me and the cross before. By the grace of God, I will serve the Lord. Oh, yes. I have made my decision. Let's love him right now. I thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, I give you the praise, oh, Lord. I give you the praise. I thank you so much. I honor you, God. I magnify your great name. Hallelujah. How many has got praise for the Lord tonight? God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that you give me opportunity that the kingdom of God come nigh unto me. I'm so thankful for that. Amen. Anybody remember when the presence of the Lord moved on you the first time ever? How great it felt. That was the kingdom of God coming nigh to you. Paying a little visit to you. Amen. If you're hungry, got an appetite for me, I'm available. I hear people say, well, I'm afraid of you folks, Pentecost, afraid you'll put something on me, that <laughs> some kind of potion, some kind of dust, you know, that's what they used to accuse of, no, that's not how it works, that's not how it works, you don't get anything you don't desire from God, he said, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, they, who? They that first hungered, they that first thirst for Him. If you got a hunger for God, you can get filled. If you got a thirst for God, it can be quenched. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful that I know Him tonight. Thankful that I know Him.